Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. Tothy, what do you do when you have a tech problem? When a certain piece of software won't boot up, or worse, from deep inside your computer comes the sound of a cat in pain, what do you do? Well, the sound of the cat in pain may not in my household be from inside the computer, maybe from inside the house. But uh, when it comes to tech problems, I make an appointment online with the genius at the Apple store and I walk in and I hand them my computer and say, please help me. <laughs> that's all I'm really equipped to do when it comes to hardware like that. So what, what do you do? I mean, surely you, you must have tech issues from you know, every now and again. What do you do? Oh, oh, do I have tech issues, Tessie? Okay, <laughs> look, it, it, at a certain point, we, we just had to, to get help with this around, around the, the law firm. So I am very proud to say that we are now cutting edge. I have a vendor that handles all the IT issues, and there are many that come up here. His name's Andre, and Andre is Ukrainian with just like crazy skills. I'm very <laughs> excited to be Andre's uh, client and friend. And <clears throat> what could really be more stylish than an IT firm run by someone with a Russian accent in today's environment? <laughs> oh, yeah, right? That's, yeah, you know what? Very, I mean, that whatever he true. says, whatever yeah, well, Andre and, says, you know, I believe, right? It just comes with such credibility with the accent. I, it I, does. No it question. Does. And, as you say that, like my great grandparents who were from who came across the water from the Ukraine, their accents are like echoing in my head, my bubble and Didi, <laughs> as you say that. Nothing but the best for you, my friend, with your IT woes. Um, so, so you've outsourced. So, given your IT outsourcing experience, you should be very prepared for today's interview. Then, well, I, sh I sure hope so. Um, Today, we are talking to Daniel Livschitz of ProMedical. He leads a national firm that specializes in healthcare IT issues and, and uh, people outsource to him. And I think that this is going to be very helpful for our audience today, Tessie. Oh, good. Well, but before we get to the interview, we need to tackle something, and that would be word of the show. So what do you have for us today, Mike? Here it is, deracinate. To tear something up by the roots or to remove or separate it from its natural environment or culture. Deracinate. Deracinate. You know, I've got to combine today's show episode with the word of the show because I recently had my laptop hard drive completely wiped. I think it was deracinated. Yeah, it was torn up by its roots and removed uh, from the environment of the MacBook Air that I have. But luckily it lived. So that's good, right? Nice. <laughs> good word. Good word. So let's get on to the show. I'd like to welcome to Sound Practice, Daniel Livschultz. He is an accomplished entrepreneur who started his first company at age 13 in 2003. That's enough to make the rest of us feel like slackers. Uh, born in Jacksonville, Florida to a family of healthcare professionals, Daniel decided to begin steering his IT uh, services organization uh, when he started at the age of 15 into the healthcare vertical to satisfy his passion for solving complex problems, knowledge of medical process, and the desire to help people. In 2007, uh, Daniel co-founded 
Cyto Resources, uh, a company specializing in the harvest and storing of pluripotent stem cells, is one of the first companies in the U.S. to offer this kind of a service. Uh, listeners to the podcast will know we've touched on some, uh, some stem cell issues in the past, and I'm sure would be, be interested to know more about that company, although today's discussion is going to be about Daniel's IT career. So <clears throat> today, under Daniel's leadership, ProMedical IT has evolved into a nationally recognized uh, leader for delivering enterprise IT solutions, automation, and security to hundreds of practices across the United States. Daniel plans to continue expanding the Live IT group globally while developing in-house software and hardware solutions. Uh, these are products that will solve some of healthcare's biggest issues, such as standardizing access uh, to a unified medical record and high quality of care for patients through specialized applications and delivery mechanisms. Daniel's an alum of the University of Miami, a lover of aviation, strong coffee, who could disagree with that, and fast cars. Uh, this is going to be a, a great interview. And Daniel, thank you for joining us on Sound Practice. Thanks for having me, Mike. Very excited to be here. And uh, hello to all the listeners out there. Great. Well, I trust that you are, um, have some, some strong coffee already on board for this. So let's, let's jump uh, yeah, in. Let's see. It's, it's 11, 12 Eastern. I'm four <laughs> cups in a very strong ah. coffee. So yes. <laughs> All right, let the day begin. So, Let's tell me, um, tell me a little bit about the history of ProMedical. Absolutely. So, uh, we touched on a little bit in the bio. Uh, company was started in its current form uh, by me in 2005. Uh, barely a freshman in high school, uh, student have a driver's license. Had to have my dad drive me to the accounts I already had. Um, can't say I didn't take the car out. Uh, without them knowing uh, on occasion when I had to go handle a 911 emergency. So uh, <laughs> you have to do what you have to do, right? Um, but, you know, I, I was around a lot of healthcare environments growing up. Um, my mom is OBGYN. My dad's an anesthesiologist. I was in hospitals and doctor's offices and everything like that. And uh, I was noticing a lot of issues, you know, uh, computer problems, uh, record issues, um, security violations. Um, and that kind of drove me to focus on improving the systemic issue within uh, healthcare IT, uh, which is uh, basically a lack of understanding of uh, how medical and technical operations, core technology, security, and key stakeholders should all coexist together, right? Uh, there's usually a large disconnect, Mike, in almost all medical organizations of all sizes between the tech people, the clinical people, administrative people, the finance people, uh, and the result of that disconnect is a degraded patient experience, um, has a lot of inefficiencies, disparity between systems, and of course, security problems. Um, so, you know, the goal with, with the company was for me to set out and try to tackle this problem uh, through a multitude of solutions and services that we offer uh, by both what we're doing today and what we're going to be doing tomorrow. Uh, as a company, as an organization, yeah. Um, no, no, that, we, that, uh, that, that's, that's, that's fascinating. But yeah. why don't we, why don't you help me with some of these, you describing from a 30,000 foot view, some of the issues that, that sure. you saw in, in, in larger problems. Maybe we could yeah. talk about more specific or common issues 
that your organization would help a a practice or a healthcare system with when you when you go through the doors or or pick up the phone and talk to someone are there yeah. problems that are endemic or that are very common that you see um, that need to be addressed, maybe on a more specific as opposed to a 30,000 foot view? Sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll dive into a little bit uh, of what the company does in its total services and solutions set. And then we can dive into a little bit more of some of the things that we've seen over the years uh, at healthcare organizations. So Great. Uh, as a company, we handle the entire IT lifecycle. Uh, so what that means uh, at a high level is planning, procurement, deployment, management and disposition. So we break that out. Um, we're first and foremost doing managed services, 24 by seven by 365 across the United States. We have cybersecurity services, backup disaster recovery and business continuity services, infrastructure management, endpoint management, uh, enterprise networking, uh, IT staff augmentation, EMR and PM application support, imaging systems, platform integrations, uh, structure cabling, office build-outs, telemedicine, strategic consulting, CIO and CTO services, um, and a host of other uh, subsets of all those categories. Um, we focus on a lot of different specialties, Mike. So plastic surgery, OBGYN, population health, pediatrics, ortho, dental, behavioral health, outpatient facilities, FQHCs, urgent care centers, um, and everything in between. We're pretty much specialty agnostic. And uh, our goal is to create an environment in which systems uh, run reliably, of course, protect sensitive data, um, and eliminate the uh, paper-based workplace while keeping in compliance with all regulations. So um, you asked, what are some of the problems that we've seen uh, in some of our customers or some of the environments that we've been into? Sure. So, Mike, here we are in this episode talking about healthcare IT and security mm. and risk and stuff like that and outsourcing. I want to tell everybody that you have a book related to this topic, and it's called Tweets, Likes, and Liabilities, Online and Electronic Risk to the Healthcare Professional. Congrats on your book. I, I do. Hey, thanks. Very excited. My first book. Well, and tell us a little bit about why physicians and healthcare leaders should read this book. What's in it for them? There's a lot of things that are in it for them, Tothi, because they spend the vast majority of their day practicing medicine in an electronic format, whether that's electronic medical records, dealing with patients, online reviews, uh, social media questions, so forth, even down to management issues of how you deal with employees and HR issues are impacted by the electronic world that we live in. And this book is geared towards helping minimize risks that are come from that world. And I love that it's very practical and it's got a, all, it covers all those topics you just said. So all that said, what do you think, um, is there anything different about this book than other health IT books out there? So the, I'd like to puff my chest and say that the uh, contents are superior. And I, and I honestly believe that um, Susan Gay, my co-author, and I put some great work into this. But really what is going to be different about this book is you're going to pick it up and you're going to be entertained because the vast majority of things, when you talk about uh, cybersecurity training, oh my God, is that deadly boring, Tothi. Yeah. This book is anything but that. I have scoured high and low for entertaining stories and you will have 
lots of cocktail conversation um, built into this book, stories that people will not believe. It uh, is an entertaining read. I love it. And I want to add one thing to that because I'd be remiss if I didn't tell the listeners that it also has this fabulous appendix with templates and examples of policies and things. So it really helps people implement faster. So the book is Tweets, Likes, and Liabilities, Online and Electronic Risk to the Healthcare Professional. You can buy it at physicianleaders.org in the publications section. I like to say, uh, you know, if you see a bone break, you don't need to be an orthopedic surgeon, right? Um, it's very, right. very clear out there. <laughs> the state of affairs in healthcare IT is not good. Um, you know, every time we take over an account, we see a lot of uh, very uh, concerning things happening. Um, most organizations that we've walked into or taken over have a very high degree of exposure. Um, bad security controls, uh, equipment that's end of life, lack of staff training, improper setup of systems, uh, there's no data management in place, no uh, backup continuity plans. Um, sometimes uh, larger organizations have legacy uh, medical record systems that are uh, no longer accessible or not archived properly. Um, things aren't highly available, bad technical planning. And recently, um, we've seen a large uptick of uh, content being introduced into the medical organization, so photos and videos, and that's a big issue today, is how to securely manage that and deliver them to your patients in an uh, efficient way. Um, Mike, you cannot believe what we've seen walking into some of these places. Uh, it's unbelievable, uh, some of the big holes that we've uncovered and had to remediate um, very, very quickly. Um, and then on a higher level, you know, we're not just the IT people, right? There's usually uh, no vision uh, in the IT department in the sense of they're just trying to keep things moving on a daily basis, but that's not enough. Um, you know, they're not trying to automate things, uh, adapt new technologies to, to find strategy. And there's usually a disconnect between uh, all the business units in IT, you know, finance, marketing, clinical, et cetera. And uh, that's really important is to be able to glue everyone together and uh, streamline all the systems and process and data across all business units. And that is the job of the IT department. It's not just keeping the computers running every day. Well, this, this may be, this is a good, that you raised IT department, because I know I've been asked, um, mm -hmm. and I'm the wrong guy to ask, you're the right person. At what point do you see organizations having internal IT departments? Um, it, because I assume if, if you're a sole, practitioner, it, it's not feasible to have a full-time IT department. So kind of where on the spectrum does that start to fall in? And then maybe we can talk about how organizations work with yours or others like you, but, but give us a feel for how the IT structure for organizations works. Absolutely. So that's a great question, Mike. Um, and there will be a different answer depending on the size of the organization. But from our experience and actual customers and organizations that we run, um, having an internal IT department is not uh, is primarily a function of the size of, of the organization. So a good example profile that we have uh, is a healthcare organization uh, that has about over five sites, four to five sites, in addition to its HQ location. Average staff count of over around 65, that's kind of the, the inflection point. Um, 
and that's kind of where we see uh, them having at least one IT resource, right? Um, however, just to give you an example, we've gotten our operation so fluid and efficient that, uh, you know, we have a health system that has over 750 employees um, and their internal IT staff is only five. But those are basically smart hands, meaning that we are still the fully augmented technical department and the CIO authority and the CTO authority. So just to kind of give you an idea uh, of size where, you know, internal IT resources start to uh, start to happen. Um, the goal with those organizations, even with internal IT, uh, is to have a co-managed department, right, where, uh, you know, we leverage their physical employees, physical IT resources to handle certain tasks, and then they leverage our entire apparatus. Um, and uh, the byproduct of that is they can employ less people, um, keep a tight budget, while increasing their IT bandwidth efficiency. And that's always a very difficult balance right there. Um, you know, most IT departments, no matter how big they are, uh, there's always missing links, right, in the team. Um, and we have the entire team filled out end-to-end. -end. It's not just a systems engineer or, or network engineer or cybersecurity guy. It's, you know, uh, application support, healthcare informatics, medical devices, um, automation, dev, DevOps. And, you know, they don't always have the budget to employ those people. They're expensive. And, um, you know, by having kind of a hybrid support model where we have some IT resources uh, at the organization as well as uh, our team, that creates a very robust uh, department as a whole uh, and, uh, you know, doing so in a very economical way. So if I was running an organization and was contemplating mm -hmm. outsourcing some portion of my IT needs, sure. is there a certain area of IT needs or, or, or services that you would recommend as a starting point? Maybe I'm concerned, don't want to outsource everything to begin with, but where was an area that would be a good starting point for me to become comfortable? Great question, my great question. Um, there's usually a point where the internal staff reaches the law of diminishing returns. And by that, mean I, by, by that I mean the productivity plateaus, right, of the, of the resources, but the cost increases. Um, usually it's not economically feasible to have all the personnel uh, in-house running the entire IT lifecycle. You have people running multiple hats. Uh, where organizations start to uh, kind of outsource certain roles would be kind of help desk, I would say, is a good starting point. A help desk is usually very over leveraged, you know, just general day to day tickets, um, you know, issues that are coming in, uh, as well as some high level planning as well. Um, you know, we uh, have, like I said earlier, the entire uh, organizational makeup that's required to run an IT department. Uh, while most internal organizations don't, um, a systems person is not a security person and vice versa, you know, and, and when they don't have enough bandwidth to support the organization, they start to put certain tasks on people that really shouldn't have those tasks. Uh, also, Mike, you, you know, those funny comics and memes uh, of that poor IT guy sitting in the office with a line out the door, never able oh, yeah. to catch a break, right? Like with the, with the face, you know, between the hands, right? Like, oh my gosh, um, yep. you know, all the IT departments are over are highly over leveraged. Uh, bandwidth is always limited. Um, there's just always so much going on. Um, so, you know, health organizations uh, that have engaged us have taken some of the help desk function functions off, some of the project management functions, uh, certain CIO and CTO functions as well have been given to us. 
managing, let's say, lab interfaces and uh, electronic prescription services between, uh, you know, their applications and pharmacies and a lot of different pieces. Every organization is very unique and we study it very intimately before we make our recommendation of how we can augment their staff. They might have a deficiency in one area, but not in another. So it really depends on the organization. Uh, but, you know, again, going back to the same point, Mike, uh, there's a big misconception of what the IT department's responsible for. It's everything. It's integrations, unified communications, telephony, informatics, applications, security, hardware, uh, you know, uh, daily support, automation, uh, you know, re- uh, regulations, uh, compliance. So it, it's a lot. And uh, there's a lot to cover there. So, Okay. So you've, man, you, you, you've convinced me that there's an overwhelming need and in high level of, of complexity, but I'm, I'm yeah. sure my, my listeners are thinking, or our listeners are thinking, um, what, how, how are we going to be charged for, for out, outsourcing? What, and, and I'm not specifically asking about your firm, but maybe you could talk about the yeah. different models by which IT firms uh, charge for services that are, are outsourced from health care organizations. Very great question. Um, one of the benefits of outsourcing, like I'd mentioned previously, is for the organization to save money by not having to employ those staff members. So I can't speak for others, but our model, our pricing model, is designed to allow predictable pl- pricing uh, and elasticity as both the organization grows or consolidates. So uh, let's say that they expanded really quickly and they need to roll back a few sites. You know, we grow with them. They're not stuck in some kind of uh, molded uh, package, right? That doesn't uh, adjust to the organizational needs. So we typically construct our management proposals um, based on the assets that we cover and the software that we cover and the duties that we're performing. So the amount of computers, the amount of networking equipment, uh, the amount of uh, applications, integrations that we're supporting, right, whatever they may be. Uh, For example, if an organization were to outsource some of the help desk functions to us, right, so we would then create a model uh, or rather a pricing uh, proposal based on the amount of computers that we are going to be receiving tickets from. Uh, usually uh, there is a asset that's tied to a person in a healthcare organization. So we do it by the amount of assets and then we price based on the amount of assets. There's no uh, cap or bucket of hours, right? So if we get 15, 20 tickets for one computer, no matter who's there, it's not per user, right? It's fine. Uh, we, we make sure that there is a unlimited uh, bucket of hours. There's no caps. There's no retainers in that sense. Um, so that the organization doesn't have to worry about like, wow, you know, this doctor submitted 15 tickets in a week. You know, now we have to worry about this massive invoice. The goal is to create a predictable monthly expenditure while having a status quo on the services that we offer. So, uh, uh, you know, it's very, it's very elastic and moldable depending on what we're doing for the organization. And, you know, like I said, they engage us for everything, um, help desk, CIO, CTO, uh, software support, development, integrations, uh, management of certain business units. Um, really depends. But, um, you know, our model is uh, made to be very cost effective and elastic. And it, it sounds like from, from your answer, there, there are several things that uh, someone would, should, should look for. One is, is price predictability uh, when, when contracting and, and also beyond predictability, flexibility, right? To know that as the organization increases or, or consolidates uh, that the prices will uh, reflect 
the services being rendered. So I think those are excellent um, points for anyone that is looking into uh, pricing models for, for IT um, outsourcing. Yeah. Very, very good. Well, yeah, absolutely. Typically what we do is we get together with the CTO in finance and we kind of identify the pain points, right? Like where's the IT department over leveraged? Where do we want to save money? And how can we do it? And then we identify what can be offloaded to our organization. And again, this is uh, for organizations that have internal IT. Some don't have any internal IT resources at all, and we are the IT department for them in, in its entirety, end to end. Excellent. So if, if I was to go out on a, a hunt today to find some services, organizations like yeah. yours or others, can you give me some, some questions that would be helpful to me to ask to be able to evaluate the quality of the external IT services? Absolutely. This is a very critical area. Um, vendor selection goes for any, anything uh, that a healthcare organization is doing. It has to be very properly vetted and properly discussed and properly researched. Many general IT companies, Mike, they don't have the expertise or knowledge base to serve healthcare environments. It's a very unique space that we're in here. Uh, so a few, a few questions would be, how many years has the firm been in business? Um, you know, there has to be a long established track record. Uh, minimum, I would say, you know, five to 10 years for sure of, of uh, solid uh, work experience, work products, you know, uh, across a variety of organizations. Do they specialize in healthcare IT? Um, do they know the compliance and regulations around it and the inherent um, security uh, apparatuses that have to be in place to safeguard patient data and uh, other privacy, uh, other private information? Um, or do they have a focus in that vertical? Do they have a part of the company that knows and understands healthcare IT? Do they have uh, inherent understandings of privacy and security laws, things like HIPAA and high tech and high trust and GLBA and DPPA and FCRA and all those things? Those are all very important things that we keep in mind, for example, of everything that we do and everything we design. Um, what does their staff profile look like? How big is the team? Um, what certifications do they have uh, with, res uh, with respect to their roles, their cybersecurity engineers, their network engineers, their systems engineers, their DevOps engineers. Uh, you know, that's also um, an important thing to take a look at. What are their SLAs? Uh, how fast do they respond to uh, different statuses of criticality, low, medium, high, critical? Um, it, uh, do they promise you that in writing or is it just, you know, verbal? Is it just something that is understood? Uh, SLAs are critical to make sure that the organization is protected uh, in the case of a critical event. Um, do they practice uh, what I like to affectionately call like preventative medicine? Are they just break six or do they have proactive planning in place to strengthen the uh, IT, the organization, to ensure that things are fluid and, and continuous and always available, not breaking all the time? Many firms out there uh, focus on break six. You know, they don't take uh, proactive steps to make things better and identify root cause and, and fix them. Um, what is their security product offering looking like? You know, what software tools, hardware tools are they going to recommend and, and look into deploying into the organization? Um, what are their plans that they have in place, right? Um, make sure to also get references. References are key, um, you know, and question those references. Do your due diligence. Ask them the questions. How responsive are they? Uh, what uh, improvements have they made in the organization? Have you guys had any security breaches or any issues? Um, do they care about the patient experience? And that's, uh, 
you know, some, going back to an earlier, earlier question, Mike, um, what, is, what are they going to do to ensure that your patients have a better experience coming into your organization? And that spans a lot of different parts of the IT life cycle, right? Uh, also, too cheap is not good. Um, that means that they don't have the right staff in place, the right tools in place, and automation in place. So uh, you don't have to go with the most expensive, but you also want to be very weary and keep your eyes open uh, when uh, the bid or the pricing is too inexpensive. Uh, in our field, that means that it's not good. Um, it takes a lot of uh, capital expenditure and staff to properly run the full life cycle, especially in a healthcare organization. So those are some of the high-level things uh, you know, that I would look for uh, when vetting out a, a good IT vendor for the business. Excellent. I, I have to say all that's very useful, but I particularly enjoyed the uh, coming up with the question of, of what's the, the vendor going to do to improve patient experience because yes. Um, yes. I am sure that there are many that don't believe that that's part of their responsibility. That um, they're just to uh, it is, uh, maintain the, it, it the, is. the course in, in in scope and not to improve patient experiences outside I'm gonna, their realm. I'm, absolutely, I'm going to take a little tangent there. Um, you know, we work very, very, very hard over here. Uh, primarily, yes, to make sure everything is secure, make make sure things run every day. But as I always tell the team, we do it for the patients because of the work we do. Mike, patients get to come in and see their doctors every day. If we don't do our jobs, systems aren't going to run. They're not going to be secure. We're not going to be available for the provider to be able to pull up their chart, send a prescription, or you know, pull up their X-ray in the in the system. Um, we're all about patient experience uh, in every way, and we and we look at the the organization and say, what don't you have today? Do you have appointment reminders? Yes or no? Do you have uh, even things like EPCS, electronic prescription of controlled substances? Many organizations still do that by paper. Um, all of that can be digitized today. Uh, and, and, you know, then we go down the rabbit hole. So we, we do very much care about improving that experience and we're obsessed about it. And it is part of our uh, responsibilities for sure. And it should be for any IT vendor or department. Well, that certainly helps with, with continuity of, of care. Um, one of the things that, that I'm interested in like to, to talk about your recommendations for backup systems and mm-hmm. in architecture for healthcare organizations in general and be easy on me, Daniel, because I don't have the background that you do. Uh, talk a little bit in, uh, in, in, in terms that uh, I, I might understand. So great question on backups, Mike. Uh, there's keeping the office online, and then there's backing up mission-critical data and information for the organization. This is one of the biggest and most important things besides security. Healthcare organizations have a duty and an obligation to safeguard patient data of all forms and types, EHR, PM, financial, and of course, media, x-rays, photos, videos, et cetera. There's a lot of uh, components to having a very solid backup design and architecture. Things like RTO, uh, recovery time object. How fast do you need to get this data back if a restore event has to occur? The recovery point, how recent is the data backup going to be? Uh, depending on the compute infrastructure, Mike, of the organization, uh, the type of backup and the continuity medium for which that happens will vary, but I can give you a few examples. Uh, we have a large customer in West Virginia. Uh, they run Allscripts, and they, of course, Allscripts is an on-premise EMR and PM system, 
uh, in their case, the data resides in-house on a uh, highly available storage area network, tons of hard drives. Think of it as like a big computer with a lot of drives in it, right? Uh, as well as a, a server called Cisco UCS. So on the data side, uh, almost in near real time, we have data being backed up live called snapshots into another set of drives on that big uh, computer with all the drives in it. Uh, so that in case the first array fails or there's an infection or anything, we can immediately have the other array take its place. In addition to that, we have backups going to a local uh, backup disaster recovery appliance, which stores things locally outside of all of that infrastructure just in case, as well as offloading it to the cloud. So for example, if everything were to be destroyed, and we would have to have people work uh, in a remote capacity, we would be able to restore their entire infrastructure in the cloud. Additionally, uh, this is a new compute model that we're rolling out and that some other organizations uh, are also adopting where they compute 100% in the cloud. Doesn't mean you don't need to back things up. Uh, let's say you're using a cloud-based EMR like Athena or eClinical Works, for example. So yes, uh, the main medical records in the cloud but you're still gonna have content for patients, consent forms, other types of documentation that contain PHI and PII. So for example, we run real-time cloud cloud backups, which is important. You still have to back up the cloud, Mike. It's a big misconception. Okay. Uh, along with, uh, yeah, along with version control, like uh, you know, if you work on a document or uh, something was amended and you need to go back a few versions, maybe from two weeks ago, four weeks ago, uh, that's also something that we implement. Uh, also, a big thing like we had mentioned before is images and video. Today, especially in aesthetic medicine and some other specialties, they're taking more photo and video than they ever have because storage is cheap now. And the way to capture that is easy on your iPhone, right, for example. Sure. So there's large repositories of, of images and video now. And um, you know, having a local backup system, both to keep it on site, outside of wherever all that's stored, as well as the cloud is important in order to keep uh, all this data secure and backed up in case you have to restore. So again, healthcare organizations have a duty and an obligation, federal laws aside, inherent obligations and duties to back up all patient-related data that has PHI, PII of any kind. That's incumbent on the organization. There's a lot of great ways to do it um, in all different budget levels. Uh, so let's talk about keeping a practice online. Very good question. Uh, the word continuity, of course, is front and center in IT, especially medical IT, a very uh, interoperable term, no pun intended. Um, and it's a complex issue, and we work on this every day for all of our customers. Um, today, Mike, as you know, more and more is being done in the cloud. There's less computing, so to speak, being done uh, on-premise, right? So, uh, you know, staying connected to the internet is the lifeline of, of any medical organization today. Doing that, uh, it spans a variety of different uh, units of IT infrastructure. So uh, let's kind of go through the journey together. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we start with the internet circuit coming into the building, right? Um, is it coax? Is it fiber? Is it a different type of connection? Uh, we want to make sure that the primary internet coming in is of the highest quality. So typically, we advise uh, something called a DIA fiber, which is a direct internet access fiber. This is the best quality that's available on the market. Um, it's available in most metropolitan areas. Uh, and it provides a direct connection from the healthcare organization to the ISP carrier. So you're not sharing your internet circuit with anyone else, which is common with other types of connections. Uh, yeah. Additionally to having a good robust 
primary connection, we always make sure that the organization has a backup ISP. For backups, we like to typically go with uh, like a cable or coax, a cheaper type of fiber solution, uh, a wireless connected uh, backup circuit like 5G, which will be available in a few months finally here in the U.S., a little bit more so than it is today. Um, And there's a variety of different options in almost uh, all parts of the United States. Always something available for a backup. There's no excuse to not have an internet backup for the organization. Say that again one more time, please. Just so everybody... Yeah, there's no excuse why you do not have an internet backup in your organization. It doesn't cost a lot of money, and it's very affordable to put in. Very. It's the best insurance policy you can have. Perfect. So it's also very important here to keep one thing in mind. You don't want your backup internet to be from the same carrier as your primary, because in most cases... They come from the same node, right, in the, in the area where the organization is. So you want to try to have two different ISPs. So let's say AT&T and Comcast or CenturyLink and Frontier and so on and so forth. That's very important. Okay. So after the ISP, the Internet, we move to the next layer of being connected to the Internet, right, which is the router or firewall layer, uh, which is where both Internet connections uh, plug into. So for us, at least, and how any organization should be set up, we set up uh, high available hardware, load balancing, and failover on those devices. So if one connection goes down, the backup is immediately available to take its place almost within a few seconds. In some cases, Mike, we have an active-active connection, meaning that the organization won't feel a thing when it switches over to the backup. That's very important is that load balancer and that failover device that will be able to handle both of those circuits for you. Again, very commonplace, sensible solutions that should be in place everywhere. Um, From there, we move on to one of our last layers, which is the network layer, right? Which is the network switch, right? Where all those cables plug into. Mm -hmm. So with those, we also make them highly available. So we have multiple network switches. You will be surprised. We walked into a healthcare organization uh, let's see, 45 providers, uh, you know, hundreds of employees, and they only had two network switches for the entire building. It was unbelievable. So uh, when we design things like this or we replace things in an existing building or office, uh, we make sure to have multiple network switches, and they're highly redundant from both a power perspective and a cabling perspective. So uh, we tend to split all the equipment between those devices. So if one goes down, the whole thing, the whole organization doesn't go down with just one device. Um, The key is for the business to tolerate failures. Uh, And power is another important thing. Um, We usually end up splitting things between multiple power circuits, right? So we can, again, uh, withstand the failure of a circuit, of a power circuit. From there, we go to our last layer, which is very important. This is the systems layer. Uh, If they have on-prem infrastructure or if they're co-located right in a data center, um, we have to make sure that the servers and everything can maintain uh, a failure of uh, services and software that is running on the server infrastructure. So virtual machines, drives going bad, uh, all of that's important to make sure you have redundant to ensure continuity of applications, file shares, and other server-related software and services. So, so Mike, these layers together at a high level comprise uh, the core of your connectivity and highly available backbone to make sure that an office is always online, almost 100% of the time. And the beautiful part is, 
it can be accomplished at all different budget levels. There's an expensive way to do it, a medium way to do it, and a cheaper way to do it, depending on where the organization falls from a financial perspective. Kenny, you did it. You walked me through it, and, and I followed you all, all the way. So, so thank you for laying Good. it out, Good. The, those, those Good. terms. So this, <clears throat> I don't know if you've been, been following it, but this is the mm-hmm. time that we're recording it, the, recording this. Um, yeah. it's, been a rough, it's been a rough week. A hospital in Alabama had to stop admitting uh, patients and use paper records due to a malware attack this week. A Michigan practice earlier this year had to permanently shut its doors after a ransomware attack. And I'm sure you and and, and I could could go on with other really horrific examples. And and these examples move us from IT or or compliance directly into patient safety and care. And given the critical nature of the the work that that you and, and ProMedical do, can you Give me three things that our listeners should do before tomorrow or questions that they should ask. Absolutely. Can I give you five? <laughs> you can. It'll be three with two bonus. Go right ahead. Great. Love it. Love it. Perfect. So first and foremost, passwords. All passwords, no matter what they're for, should always meet minimum complexity requirements. So that means a minimum of eight characters, and a combination of alphanumeric and uh, alphanumeric uh, operators, right? Uh, letters and numbers and symbols, exclamation points, pound signs, things like that. And stored, most importantly, in an encrypted medium like LastPass or, you know, something of that nature. And not on a sticky note or printed piece of paper in a desk, which we have seen one too many times, unfortunately. So that's number one, password complexity. Very easy to do, doesn't cost anything increases the ability for a brute force attack, for example, to not be able to figure out your password. That's the key, complexity. Second thing is two-factor authentication. Again, doesn't cost anything in most cases, and it adds another layer that's important. So two-factor can be applied to your PC login, your email, your uh, banking login, your healthcare application. What that means is uh, in addition to entering a password, uh, I'm sure you've experienced this too, Mike. You get like a code that's texted to you or emailed to you, or you have a notification that says you approve this login, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, it, it, let's put it this way. Some of the examples that you mentioned, uh, you know, that uh, Alabama uh, hospital system, uh, you know, uh, experiencing that ransomware attack, had they had 2FA enabled, uh, the ransomware wouldn't have made it in through the medium it did. Um, you can, let's say they guess the password, but getting in through the second factor of authentication is almost impossible. And we actually are starting to uh, enforce three-factor authentication starting next year. So that's going to be fun. Um, mm-hmm. Another point is uh, have good backups, uh, both on-site, off-site. Um, ransomware attacks can still happen no matter how much money you spend on IT, you know, through a number of different things. Uh, but being able to recover from that attack with good backups is key. Uh, there was a couple of big hits this year uh, in hospital systems with ransomware and they didn't have good backups or they were too old. They weren't being managed and they mm-hmm. had to pay the ransom in order to get the, uh, the data back. So good backups on site, off site, and ideally in a business continuity disaster recovery model, which we're actually going to touch uh, very shortly on after this. Uh, number four, train your staff. They are your first line of defense, Mike, always. If they see something, Make sure they say something. Typically, something looks off, a weird email, a weird file. Don't click on it. Don't open it. 
um, a random thumb drive sitting on a counter. You know, don't plug it in. Um, a contractor who walks in asking for access seems a little weird. Um, lots of organizations have been breached that way. Your staff is always your first line of defense. Make sure they understand the regulations, best practices, and rules of your organization. The fifth one, um, whoever your IT is, ask them very tough questions. Are they taking common sense precautions to prevent exposure of the organization to a variety of attacks, data loss, or breach of uh, privacy laws and information laws? If so, how are they doing that? Are they being proactive with training staff on these things? Very easy to do, doesn't really cost money, just information and time. Are they conducting audits? Are they looking at things to make sure, oh, did that setting change or that looks a little weird, let's look into that. Uh, if they hesitate to answer any of those questions or any more you come up with or provide vague answers like, oh yeah, we're doing that or, or yeah, that, no problem, that, that's under control. Definitely time to dig deeper. Um, this is a serious business, Mike, with many layers of regulation and complexity. And unfortunately, there's a lot of players in it who are not qualified or are lazy or don't care enough to make sure that this stuff is secure and backed up the right way. So those are well, some five high-level things that they want to look into doing uh, today. That's, um, that's tremendous. And your last point really bears repeating. This, this is a very serious matter. It's not about just trying to comply with some vague law. This is mission critical. Uh, patient uh, safety is on the line daily. So everyone can go forth with the five uh, points that you gave, and I think that that will be, be very helpful. Daniel, Absolutely. Daniel Livesuits has been our guest today. He is at the helm of Pro Medical, and we very much appreciate your time and guidance today. Thank you for joining us on Sound Practice. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate having me today. Daniel had some great tips, Mike. His points are pretty useful to anyone thinking about outsourcing some or all of their IT needs. Yeah, I think so. Daniel helped us through um, a really kind of difficult uh, topic or at least a complex topic. And I think you're right, Tothi. It was useful, useful tips that everyone can, can put, to, uh, put into play. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed our interview today. If you did, please consider writing us on the website, soundpracticepodcast.com, or on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Yeah, we would really like that. And if you'd like to suggest something specific, uh, in terms of topics or give us feedback directly or make a suggestion or who knows, give us a, give us a restaurant recommendation or your favorite app since today was about technology, right, Mike? Um, please yeah. email us at feedback at soundpracticepodcast.com. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. 
that is holy cow. Batman and Robin, Red Book of Power.